chapter 30, verses 1 through 24. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 30. Today's uh, sermon is a real treat. I say that because I'm preaching it, right? It makes it, I, I advertise in my own sermon coming up. But it's a real treat because if somebody is not doing expository preaching, I can almost guarantee you that Genesis chapter 30, verses 1 through 24, is not the passage that they're turning to uh, for their sermon today because this is a... I don't know what to say about it. This is, this is not the chapter you think of and you think, boy, that will preach. Because this is messed up, what we're fixing to read. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that, that this is messed up. This reads today more like a gossip magazine. You might find something like this in a gossip magazine than you might expect from the Holy Scripture. The, the rivalry of these sisters, the passivity of Jacob... It is about as big a family dysfunction as you can possibly imagine. So let's go ahead and read it. should be fun. And then let's see how it applies to our lives. Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not... By the way, I'm reading in the Christian Standard Bible today because the print is bigger. I won't tell you why, but perhaps Matt can tell you it's his birthday why these things are happening to me. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she envied her sister. Give me sons or I will die, she said to Jacob. And Jacob became angry with Rachel and said, Am I in God's place who has withheld offspring from you? Then she said, Well, here is my maid Bilhah. Go sleep with her and she'll bear children for me so that through her I too can build a family. So Rachel gave her slave Bilhah to Jacob as a wife, and he slept with her. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God has vindicated me. Yes, he has heard me and given me a son. So she named him Dan. Rachel's slave Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Rachel said, in my wrestlings with God, I have wrestled with my sister and won. And she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her slave, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's slave, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. And then Leah said, What good fortune! And she named him Gad. When Leah's slave, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son, Leah said, I am happy that the women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Now Reuben went out during the wheat harvest and found some mandrakes in the field and he brought them to his mother Leah and Rachel asked, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. And Leah replied to her, isn't it enough that you've stolen my husband? Now you want to take my son's mandrakes? Well then, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come with me. For I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So Jacob slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my slave to my husband, and she named him Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. She said, God has given me a good gift. This time my husband will honor me because I have borne six sons for him, and she named him Zebulun. Later, Leah bore a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son. And she said, 
God has taken away my disgrace. And she named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add another son to me. Now that is some family business right there. When you think about family, you growing up maybe, even now, some of you building family, some of you looking forward to having a family, whatever your place might be, what does the ideal family look like in your mind? Did you have a picture of a family before you actually started trying to make a family and did it fit the picture you had maybe when you were growing up? Maybe, maybe your ideal family was uh, some sitcom TV show family that you, you admired growing up. That's okay, you know, they are great families. They get together, they have a little problem, it's usually just silly and it's wrapped up in 30 minutes and everybody is still friends. Maybe that's what we thought would be a family. Every conflict just, you know, neatly resolved, even if somebody's uh, backs through into the kitchen and dumps a bunch of cement into the kitchen while Joey doesn't notice it. See, these are the kinds, if you don't know what that reference is, ask Jake Ham after the service, and he can tell you, so can Justin Rains. This is sort of what we think of when we think of these ideal families, but what have we seen about families so far in the book of Genesis? I mean, think about it for a minute. What have the families been like that we've looked at? These are the heroes of the faith, right? And what have their families been like? What about Adam and Eve? How did their family go? Now, the reason I'm pointing these things out, there's a point here that every single one of these families are messed up. And I'm afraid sometimes we approach the Bible like it's some kind of book about heroes, the legends, you know, and it's not what it is at all. I mean, they are heroes, but not the way we normally approach it. What was Adam and Eve's family like? Well, they were in the Garden of Eden. They seen it got kicked out. And then their firstborn son murdered their younger son, Abel. That is some pretty serious dysfunction. That is some pretty serious sin. So Adam and Eve did not have a great family for us in scripture nobody thinks man i want to be like adam and eve my kids fight and kill each other and that'd be bad what about noah and his family how'd that go well everybody on the earth died but his family right and then he gets off the boat and curses his grandson first thing that happens one of his sons sees him naked and we don't even know what that's all about and then when he wakes up he curses canaan so that's weird not a good family situation. What about Abraham and his family? How did his family do? Well, he gave his wife away twice to have another man have his wife. Kept trying to place his older son, who was not the son of the promise, into God's will and promise. Even though God had promised him, Isaac, he kept saying, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So Abraham's family was not right. But what about his nephew Lot? How was his family? His wife was destroyed along with Sodom, and he slept and got his daughters pregnant. That's messed up. So if we're looking for a model of families, where are we going to start? We know we can't go with uh, Isaac. He's still alive in this passage. He's, his, brother, his son's about to kill each other. And he had to send his son Isaac off to live with uh, his brother-in-law, Laban, and won't see his son for 20 years. Because of the conflict there. That's messed up. And now we got Jacob, who got a wife swap 
and got Leah instead of Rachel. Now he has two wives. And from this text, I think it's fairly clear that neither one of them are very happy. And then he gets these slave girl wives. And then he got kids like crazy. And these kids are the foundation of the tribes of Israel through whom salvation will come. So we're talking about the beginning of the family through whom the Messiah will come. And this is how they behave. So think about the Bible for a moment. It's not just Genesis. It's the whole thing. Just think about it. Think about the Bible. We know about the apostles, right? Y'all know about them. Twelve of them. One of them did what? Betrayed Jesus for some silver and hung himself. Great start. When John writes his gospel, the gospel of John, he refers to himself throughout. He doesn't name himself. He just refers to himself as the disciple Jesus kept loving. That's his name for himself, the disciple Jesus kept loving. When Peter has Mark write the gospel of Mark, in it he includes the fact that he denied Jesus three times and that Jesus called him Satan. You remember that? Why, why would you? Is that something you're going to stick in your autobiography? Our heroes act less than heroic. So the Bible is not a story about heroes in the sense that the world thinks about heroes. I know of no other books like this. The writers, the authors, Moses here, takes pains to show us how sinful the children of Israel are. Takes pains to show us that. Remember, we're gonna, Moses writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He is the one who writes Exodus. He is writing Genesis leading up to Exodus. And so when the children of Israel in Exodus and they're being sinful and they're not doing what God says, and they, God says, don't you even try to go in the land. Actually, he says, go in the land. And they say, we're not going, we're scared. And then God says, okay, you're not going in. And they go, okay, we're sorry, we're going in. God said, don't go in. They say, we're going in. And then they get killed and they come out. They're like, why did we get killed? It's because I told you not to go in. They don't listen. He gives them manna from heaven to eat angels' food. And they're like, we hate this. We want some quail. It's so aggravating.
apparently Jacob had not been going to see Leah. He got Rachel and Bilhah over there he'd been with. And so this is awful. He's coming in from work out in the field with the sheep. And Leah goes out to meet him to make sure Rachel doesn't get there first. She's like, I have hired you. I mean, he's basically sold like a prostitute to his own wife. That's what the text indicates. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. You've got to come home with me tonight. And he doesn't say, he's like, okay, this is messed up. It's messed up. And Leah, the one who gives away the cure, is the one who gets pregnant in this passage. Because it's not about magical cures by mandrakes. It's about God who has mercy. It doesn't say the mandrakes worked and so Leah conceived. It says, and God listened to Leah and opened her womb. So at least she had enough sense to ask God. He opens her womb and she has a baby. Once again, people doing things for selfish reasons, trying to do things in their own power. This goes back to Abraham. Hey, let's get Ishmael. Well, actually, it goes back to Sarah's like, here, take my handmaiden and have a baby through her. We have Ishmael. And God's like, that is not what I'm doing. I told you Sarah's going to have a baby next year. He's going to be the child of promise. You're going to take Ishmael and send him off with his mom because the slave, the son of the slave woman, is not going to be heir with the child of promise, despite what Abraham thought. And Isaac did the same thing. God comes to Rebekah and says, look, the younger is going to rule over the older. And Isaac says, I don't care. I'm blessing Esau. People are always trying to do the things that they want to do. And God is always doing what he wants to do, and it always works out the way God wants to do it. And like I said, this is a head, this is a messed up situation. If they come into New Covenant Baptist Church somehow and say, hey, I need some counsel, and it's like, I, want, I need you some help with my wives. And there's like four of them. They got all these kids. And it's like her kids, and her kids are beating up my kids and our kids. And you're like, wait a second, what are you talking about? It's a messed up. It reminds me of a pastor called me one time. This is, this is the stuff people get into. A guy had just become a Christian. He had been married eight times. This is not a preacher story. This, well, it is, but it's a true story. Sometimes preachers tell stories that ain't true. This is a true story. A guy had been married eight times. He had just become a Christian. He had just come to church, and he calls the pastor. And he says, I think I've made a big mistake. And the pastor said, what did you do? He said, well, this weekend I remarried my fourth wife. And I think that was a mistake. Do I have to stay with her? And he said, what do I tell him? And I just made like the, hey, man, you're breaking up. I'll have to call you back. Like, I haven't heard from him since. I don't know what to tell him. This is one of them situations. It's like, I don't even know how to untangle this mess. I know what I would have liked to have seen. I would like to have seen Jacob do something, anything, to try to help this situation. Family meeting time. Wives. I want all the wives present. And all the children, we're going to have a talk. We're going to try to work this out. We're going to have to get some kind of rotating schedule. I don't know. Something. But instead, we have this completely passive Jacob who is not, from this text, doing anything to promote peace in his family that is supremely dysfunctional because of him, for the most part. So here is the good news. The good news of this passage, why we can take hope from stories like this. These folks, we have sort of 
made light of it because it's a very difficult situation. These people were really suffering like no joke. This was bad. When Jacob goes to die, he, when he's old and he meets Pharaoh, he says, my days have not been as long as my father's and they've been full of sorrow. They were really put through it because of the decisions that they made. Jacob's entire life was difficult and so were Rachel's and so was Leah's. And the Bible says that Leah was unloved. We don't ever see that really rectified or reconciled throughout the rest of Genesis. They apparently lived their entire lives in brutal, jealous competition with one another for the attention of their husband. And giving these slave women to Jacob did not make matters better. No matter what they said, it made it worse. And his inability to deal with these domestic issues caused more and more trouble in his family. Now, I told you that there's good news, and it is coming. There is no way that you are any more messed up than these people. There's no way. This is about as messed up as you can get. And yet, when Jacob returns home, he says, The Lord was with me every step of the way. That is the theme of the scripture. One of the themes is that there are no heroes here, there are only people. There are also no heroes here, only people. We are a sinful people and a needy people. It is a great privilege as your pastor to know you, to know you. And as I look out, I see you. And you know that we've talked. We've talked about things that go on in your life, things that are going on in your lives now. And I think about the suffering in this room. Everybody's got it, I'm telling you right now. Everybody's got conflict. Everybody's got sin. Everybody's got trouble. I know some of your troubles that you don't even know you have. <laughs> and you know some of your troubles that I that you have that you haven't even told me. But when I read this, I have hope. Because if God can use these people, just people, he can use us. And if Jacob's testimony can be that God was with me every step of the way and blessed me in all that I did, I know that he can do the same for you. This is how we should read Scripture. And this is one of the reasons why I know the Scripture is true. I believe that Scripture is true because the people who wrote it felt like the greatest lessons that they could pass along was that they were sinful failures that God used greatly. That's why Peter says to Mark, be sure to tell them that I said, <laughs> be sure to tell Jesus, be sure to tell them that I told Jesus that this would never happen to him. And that after I said that, he pulled me aside and called me Satan. Be sure to put that in there. And be sure to tell them that on the night he was betrayed, I swore by the living God that I would never abandon him, even if everybody else did. And that I not only abandoned him, I denied him three times, just exactly like he said I would. And be sure to tell them that I saw him again on a beach cooking me breakfast. And three times he asked me, do you love me? Three times I denied him. Three times he asked me, do you love me? 
then he just said, feed my sheep. That's beautiful. I'm telling you, you will not find that anywhere else. No other religion that I know depicts their heroes as such fragile failures in absolute and total need of a gracious God who continues to rescue them from all of their self-made trouble. That is good news. So you read this. These are our people, 100%. 100%, these are our people. They did some strange things and had some strange ways. And they did some sinful things, too. But God changed the world through these people. We're still talking about them to this day, and it's been thousands of years ago. These people who fought over mandrakes and guy who had four wives and 12 kids, 12 boys and a daughter. We know them as the tribes of Israel, right? Grew up, and there they are. The kingdom of Israel, over which the great King David ruled. And by the way, how is he depicted? He's a man after God's own heart. Remember that? Yeah, he's also a guy who stole another guy's wife and murdered him. These are not good people. These are just people. So, dear friends, this morning, I am full of hope because of this passage about a bunch of sinners because God is going to sculpt them into a family through whom our Lord comes to save us and them of all their sin. Whatever your problems are this morning, and you have them, and they're tough, I know, Jesus will be with you through them all. And he will be as faithful to you as he was to them. He never broke his word to these people, these sinful people. And he will never break his word to you. He is good. He is kind. And he is with us forever. So here we have the foundations and the beginning of the tribe of Israel. They get off to a slow start and then they taper off. It gets worse. It gets worse from here. And yet God will still be faithful to them every step of the way. Trust the Lord, the Messiah who comes from this family. The Savior of all the families of the earth, the one through whom all the families of the earth are named. This morning, if you will go to Christ Jesus, the son of Jacob, and cling to him as Jacob will cling soon. And never let him go. He will bless you. And he will never let you go either. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning 